and welcome to Auntie Sandy's Storyland. Please join us at our new home on the Lotus Prison Network at patreon.com. Our story for today is Tommy D. Paola's Crunch Porch Tales and North Country Whoppers. Part 1. Inquiring. The tourists stopped at the country store. I'm curious. Exactly how many seasons do you have up here? Not counting mud season, black fly season, or first frost, we have four. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. Last year, summer came on Tuesday, went on Thursday. Spring. Mud season. Well, sir, it happened one year during mud season. Mud season. That's the time between winter and spring when the cold ice ooze up out of the ground and all the roads become a gooey mess, especially when they ain't been paved over. Round here, we say that the dang bottom falls out, and to tell you the truth, that's exactly what it's like. Now, Hiram Fuller, who lived right smack dab in the middle of the village, come out on his front porch to survey what was going on. It was pretty quiet. No folks, no wagons going down the main road because of the mud. Lord, there was a soupy mess where the road used to be. All of a sudden, like, Hiram catches himself a glimpse of George Petty, the postman coming down the road. All Hiram could see sticking out of the mud was George's head. I reckon Hiram shouldn't have been surprised to see George because everybody knows the postal system's motto. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. I guess George Petty decided that went for mud, too. Hiram called out to George, Hey there, George Petty, what do you think you're doing? What do you think? I'm delivering the mail, George answered. Hiram shouted back, Well, why don't you use your horse? I am, George replied. I'm standing on him. Mother Skunk meets Sherman Curtis. Sherman Curtis lived deep in the woods in a one-room tar paper shack. And it was a pretty good thing he did, too, what with all the wood smoke from a leaky stove, no running water, and just a brook nearby. All that, and the fact that he never had so much as touched a bar of soap. Sherman did smell a bit ripe. No respectable black flyer mosquito went near him. In fact, when Sherman walked into town every spring to buy a new pair of overalls at the stove, folks would rush to stand upwind of him. The stovekeeper, Mr. Chadwick, would stick a clothespin on his nose and, standing back as far as he could, hand Sherman a brand new pair of overalls. Sherman would proceed to put on the new pair right over the old pair. No telling how many layers there was. Well, this story ain't about the overalls. It's about the freak spring blizzard we had that year. Sherman Curtis had just left the store when, without so much as a warning, a killer blizzard blew down from the northeast. In minutes, the temperature dropped 
to below zero and the snow blew so hard you couldn't even see your hand in front of you. Most folks made it into their homes real quick, except for Sherman Curtis. He had a long walk back through the woods to his shack. He wandered and wandered, but the more he wandered, the more lost he was. It was a good thing, too, that he had on so many layers of overalls because they kept him a little bit warm. Then it got dark, and just when Sherman Curtis had about given up hope, he bumped right into the front door of Mrs. Cave's house. Go round to the side and you can stay in the shed, Miss Cave told Sherman. I'll leave a lamp in there and you can build yourself a fire in the old stove. Truth is, Miss Cave was a kind-hearted woman. She just didn't want Sherman stinking up her nice house. The shed was small but tight. There was some sacks filled with stuff that would make a nice soft bed and a wood stove that heated it up real quick so Sherman Curtis was even more comfortable than he would have been in his shack and soon he was asleep, snoring like a buzzsaw. As often as it is in these spring blizzards, the snow stopped just as quickly as it had started. The sky cleared and the temperature began to rise. Now it so happened that there was a mother skunk and her three kids hibernating under the shed at Mrs. K's. What with the warmth from the wood stove, the temperature coming up and a full moon busting light into the sky, mother skunk woke up. Phew, what a smell. Mother skunk woke up her kids. Let's get out of here, she sniffed. No skunk alive is a match for Sherman Curtis. Looking, the tourist was terribly lost. Excuse me, do either of you know the way to Rutland? Aya. Summer. Beat Gertie and love at first sight. If you're ever in western Vermont and you drive north through the village on Route 100, you'll come to Greendale Road on your left. The beginning part is paved, but as soon as you get to the unpaved part, you'll be driving into the Green Mountain National Forest. Eventually, the road just ends. Oh, you can turn around all right, so no need to worry. But at about the place where the road stops to the left is a hill that used to have two tracks up to it. They've probably overgrown by now. But one time, those tracks was the logging road up the hill to the logging camp right smack dab at the top. It was a pretty busy logging camp, too, if you can believe what the old timers do tell. This is how the logging camp worked. All the trees were cut in the fall when the leaves were letting go. Then, when the snow fell, most of the men went back into town. The men who were left working would hitch up the oxen and dragged the logs out of the deep woods to the camp. Mud season would put a stop to the dragon, so the men worked real hard to beat the mud. And then was the sugaring. When the sugar maple sap began to run in early spring, most of the men would go help out the farms in their sugar bush, tapping the trees, gathering sap, and boiling it down. 
the farmers was always grateful for the extra help. Sugaring is no easy task, believe me. Well, let's get back to the logging camp. Once the sugaring was done and the mud season was over, the men that worked at the logging camp returned. Now, it would be called the lumber camp because what the men would do is set up the sawmill and the cross saws and cut all the logs into planks that could be used for building. That would take all spring, all summer, and into the beginning of fall. The first thing to do was to clean out the bunkhouse where the lumberjacks lived all winter. The wood stove was cleaned out of all the ashes. All the windows was open to get some fresh air in. The bedding was hung out and whacked with sticks to get all the winter dirt out and to fluff up all the feathers and scare away any critters that might have moved in during the freezing weather. Next, they set up the cook tent and put together the big cook stove. After all, when the sawmill got going, they'd be a big bunch of hungry men to feed. Other tents got put up, a dining tent with long tables and benches, a couple of extra sleeping tents, and a separate tent for the cook. The lumberjacks were lucky. For two years now, the cook had been Big Gertie Benson from down in the village. Now, Big Gertie was big and tall and big-boned. Her whole family was that way, and she had a bunch of cousins on her mother's side that lived in the Midwest and were practically giants. They was the Bunyan family. Big Gertie had the kindest heart in the whole world, and she was one of the hardest workers in the Green Mountain State. Some say all of New England. During the winter, she kept house for her witted pa and three brothers. Since they all worked at the lumber camp, Big Gertie followed them up the hill and cooked. And cook she did. She made biscuits so light they floated an inch off the plate. No one baked her ham like Big Gertie, not to mention her turkey with all the fixings. And I don't know how she did it, but her baked beans were gasless, if you know what I mean. Big Birdie's specialty was her flapjacks. Every Saturday and Sunday morning, she'd whoop up a batch of batter with eggs, stone ground flour, and a little cornmeal, a few other ingredients, and plenty of buttermilk in a big jug. She'd set the jug with a cloth over it on a rock warmed by the sun. Then she'd build a fire under the big round saw blade that was too dull to use to cut wood. When the blade got hot, Big Gertie would sprinkle drops of water on it. If the water drops danced like crazy, the blade was ready. Big Gertie would pull the batter and, as quick as a wink, a stack of the most delicious flapjacks you could imagine reached up over a foot high and they was gone in a flash. Big Birdie kept cooking and the men kept eating. Big Birdie's flapjacks and a cup of coffee were all you needed to get going on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Since Sunday was the Sabbath and no work was allowed, the lumberjacks would sit round and gab and mend their socks or whittle a little toy for a nephew or a niece or get someone to write a letter home for them. The only one who seemed to work seven days a week was Big Gertie. You know, man, the boss said, we ought to find Big Gertie some help so she can have a day off. Why, Sunday she works harder than ever. 
But boss, the lumberjack said, no one can cook a turkey dinner like Big Birdie. It wouldn't feel like Sunday without our turkey dinner. Maybe Big Gertie would like some other day off, like Monday or Tuesday. So the boss spoke with Big Gertie, and it was decided that Big Gertie would work only five days, including Sunday. She'd have Monday and Tuesday off. She would have an assistant cookie, and she'd get the same pay as always, but she had to find the assistant. Big Gertie started down the logging road to the village for a look-see, but before she got down the hill, guess who she met coming up the road? Seth Parkhurst from Lundery. He had heard they needed some volunteers to set up porcupine traps to catch them critters that was girdling the trees. Now Seth Parkhurst was right puny with long skinny arms and legs, big ears that stuck out like handles on a pitcher, and a little red nose perched right above a walrusy mustache. Big Gertie took one look at Seth and fell smack dab in love. Can you cook? she asked him. I yeah. Not so good as I hear you can, Seth answered. But I can learn fast. Would you mind working for a woman? Big Gertie asked with a blushing smile. Seth Parkhurst blushed back. I'd be real happy working for you, he said softly. I guess you could say it was love at first sight. So up to the lumber camp went Big Gertie Benson and Seth Parkhurst to cook up a stone. Oh, the meals that come out of that cook tent. Platters of fried egg, thick-cut bacon, flapjacks, fried lumberjack mush, and towers of toast for breakfast. Ham sandwiches, deviled eggs, sickle tash, and potato salad for lunch. Ham steaks, pot roast, turnips. Roast potatoes, cream gravy, and at least two kinds of pie for supper. Those lumberjacks were in seventh heaven, the same as their cooks. Big Gertie never did get her day off. There they were, seven days a week, three meals a day. When the boss mentioned it to Big Gertie, she replied, Oh, I'm only helping him out till he gets the hang of it. And of course, Seth didn't take no day off neither. Big Gertie likes it when I help her out, he'd say. One Sunday, Big Gertie and Seth surprised everyone with one big flapjack that covered the big round saw blade. Everyone sat around it and dug in. It became a Sunday tradition of sorts, along with beans and franks and brown bread for Saturday supper, roast turkey with all the fixings for Sunday, fried chicken for Wednesday supper, and always good breakfast so the lumberjacks could saw up lots of boards. One day in the late summer, when the work was pretty much caught up, the camp decided to have an afternoon of games. You know, like a saw-splitting competition, an axe-throwing contest, and a cross-saw race. Ah, come on, Seth, said Big Birdie. It'll be fun. But Gertie... Seth answered, I'm too puny. I'll never be able to keep up with you. Never you mind, Big Gertie said. Just do what I tell you and we'll win, you'll see. The day of the games came and soon it was time for the cross-cut saw race. 
There was four teams. John Parker and Alvis Austin, Lonnie Benson, Big Gertie's brother, and Lamp's son Tyler, Harrison Benson, Big Gertie's other brother, and Silas Kidder, and of course, Big Gertie Benson and Seth Parkhurst. The first three teams did pretty well with Harrison and Silas having a slight lead. Now it was Big Gertie and Seth's turn. What do I do, Gertie? Seth whispered. You just hold on tight to your end of the saw and I'll do the rest, Big Gertie whispered back. One, two, three. Big Gertie began to push and pull the saw back and forth, back and forth across the log. Seth hung on as he went, swinging through the air like a mad thing. And the winner is Big Gertie Benson and Seth Parkhurst. Hooray! The lumberjack shouted. But you did all the work, Gertie, Seth said. But you hung on, Sethy, Gertie said back. Well, the lumber camp lasted a few more years, and then, as they usually do, it moved on farther north up around Pittsford. It was then that Big Gertie Benson and Seth Parkhurst decided to tie the knot. Big Gertie's father and brothers moved out of the house, following the loggers north, and it wasn't too long, maybe a year, before twins were born to Big Gertie and Seth. A boy, big-boned and tall, just like Gertie, and a skinny girl, just like Seth. Over the years, they had a parcel of kids, half of them big and half of them puny, and they all got along real well, and they all eventually married real well, too. Before long, there was cousins and Benson Parkhurst all over the place. Big Gertie Benson and Seth Parkhurst had one of those fairy tale lives together. They truly lived happily ever after. And every once in a while, to celebrate how they met, Big Gertie would get out the saw blade and make the biggest flapjack you ever seen. That is the end of our story for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join our exclusive Storyland membership on the Lotus Prison Network to get special appreciation bonuses and rewards as a valued member of our listener team. To join our membership, go to patreon.com forward slash the Lotus Prison Network. For those who like the book we read today and would like to purchase it, please click the link in the description. Follow our Facebook page so you can find us on all your favorite social media and share with your family and friends. Thank you for your support. We'll see you next time on Auntie Sandy's Storyland.